Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello, church. Welcome to Easter Sunday. What a joy it is. You know, for us as Christians, Easter is our main event. It's not Christmas, although some would think it is. It's Easter, because at Easter, everything changed. Have you ever lived through an event that was momentous in history? I can remember a few events, the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, the end of apartheid, the uh, attack on Kuwait. There were various things in my life uh, which all seemed to happen in a, a few short years of each other, but they were big events. And I can remember reading and learning about others. I'm thinking about uh, the dropping of the bombs on Japan at the end of World War II and how that one event, just a split second, of that atom bomb going off changed history because suddenly there was a new power released in the world and everything changed. The paradigm had shifted. And I want to say to you that I believe the resurrection of Jesus was a turning point in history. It showed us new things were possible. It showed us there was more to this world than we thought. And the fact that Jesus rose again and is still alive and interacting with human beings means that power is available and at work now, today, even 2000 years later. The illustration that I like to use is of a group of mice in a maze in a laboratory and they're running around in this maze, you know, the labyrinth where they can't find their way out and the doctors and, and um, experimenters are doing different experiments to see how they react. But for those mice, they don't know anything else. They just know the maze. All they know is their life seems to be meaningless. They're running around trying to find their way out. It never seems to work. Life is endless confusion for them until one day one of the laboratory workers puts his hand and grabs the mouse, takes him out, and the mouse sees there's more to this world than just this confusing maze that I've been running around in trying to find my way out of. That's what happened to us as the human race. We were under bondage and blindness, bondage to sin and to the devil because we had sinned and invited him in, and blindness because we didn't even know that we didn't know. We had no idea that we were so needy, we were confused, we had no way out, we could not rescue ourselves, and it required an external injection of some other power, and Jesus came as a person to explain it and to show us and when he rose again, it showed us that everything we thought was the reality of this world was just a part and there is a whole other world. And Jesus rising again showed us that. There are a couple of other really, really important things about the resurrection that I want to show you. And then I'm going to go through the word Easter, E-A-S-T-E-R, so that we have a guideline of what happened at Easter. And I'm using a passage from Ephesians chapter 1. Before I get there, the resurrection is important. Acts chapter 4 verse 33 
It says, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. When they preached, they preached the resurrection, the death, yes, but the resurrection was so important. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is meaningless, futile. It's a waste of time. Another verse is Acts 17, verse 31, where it says, uh, God has set a day when he will judge the world, the world by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus was God's way of giving proof. You know, we as humans want physical evidence of things. Jesus would say to people in John 11, he said, if you believe, you will see. But we want to see first and then we will believe. And Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but there will only be one sign given it, the sign of Jonah, which is a man being dead or under under the sea or under the ground for three days and then rising again. Jesus said the resurrection is the only sign that will be given. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. A hope means there's more than this world seems to be. But a living hope means I actually have part of that future hope in me. It's alive in me. Jesus is alive and he's in me. So the resurrection is what they preached. It's what we hope for. It's the sign we are allowed to look for. And just before I get into the Easter story and the resurrection, I just want to give you three quotes from three lawyers. The first is a man called Brooke Foss Westcott. He was from the 19th century, a very famous uh, lawyer and historian. And he said, there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. And then another great lawyer, Simon Greenleaf, he put together the Harvard Law Law School and he wrote a, a big volume, three volume masterpiece called A Treatise on the Law of Evidence which has been called the greatest single authority in the entire literature of legal procedure. Uh, He tried to disprove the resurrection because he was a lawyer. And eventually he wrote this quote. He said, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. Isn't that amazing? And then more recently, uh, a lawyer called Dr. Lionel Luku, who was in the Guinness Book of Records for having the most successful legal wins in courts of law. He had 245 consecutive defense murder trial victories. Uh, He wrote this. I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world and am still in active practice. I've been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. And that was within the last few years or decades that he said that. So there is evidence for the resurrection. I don't have time to go into it now, but you can look it up for yourself. Jesus 
resurrection was proved because there were so many eyewitnesses, because there was corroborating evidence, because the Roman soldiers would have been put to death if they had allowed him to, for his body to be stolen because the tomb was empty. Jesus rose from the dead. So what happened on that day? There's a beautiful passage in Ephesians chapter 1 where it talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to go through it using E-A-S-T-E-R, an acronym so that we know when the sermon is nearly finished, when I get to E or R. And after that, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that what happened to Jesus has happened to us who are Christians and who believe. And this will help you, my friend. If you feel like that mouse running around in the labyrinth trying to work out what is life all about, I want to say an external power. Jesus came in. He showed us the way. He died and he rose again to show us there is more power. There is another way. He gave us what we needed to be saved and rescued. And we now have a living hope within us. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. I'm breaking into what Paul says mid-sentence, he says, I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. So the first word E stands for energy or power because the word working and energy and power in these verses is the Greek word energia, where we get our word energy from. And it's also mixed with the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite from. So energy is the first one. The the energy that was released, something from the outside, an external greater power, supernatural power was released to rise Jesus from the dead. And he says, I want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Can you imagine what energy is required to raise a person who's been dead for three days? You know, when a person dies in an emergency room today, they use those paddles with electricity to get the heart going again. But if a person's been dead for several minutes or certainly several hours, then those paddles no longer work because the body cannot be restarted. Jesus was dead in a cold, damp, sealed tomb with a big rock sealing sealing the entrance uh, for three days. And he had been brutally killed, brutally murdered. Crucifixion itself was such a terrible form of death that there was no chance the person was alive And the soldiers who were administering the crucifixion made sure that everyone was dead. And in Jesus' case, they plunged plunged a spear into his side and blood and water flowed out, which proved that his heart had burst. What kind of energy is required to raise a person from the dead? And God's word says that that same power lives in you if you are a Christian. Romans 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he will give life to your mortal body. That same power. Um, There are some amazing verses about this. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. There is power, my friend. It's not just an intellectual exercise in thinking and discussing facts and history and saying, oh, I think I believe. No, there is a power, an external power that we need to break out of the maze, to break out of the confusion of our, of our lostness. There is a power that was released into Jesus' body that was required to raise him from the dead. But the verse goes on to say that he wasn't just raised from the dead. He was raised to heavenly places and he was raised above all other authorities. Let me read on in verse 21. So verse 20, it says, This power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. How much energy is required to lift us out of our worldly labyrinth and take us right up to heavenly places? It goes on far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Authority was a big part of this, and that is the second word. The A in Easter stands for authority. Not just power is given when you believe in Jesus' resurrection. It's not just an injection of power, supernatural energy, strength. No, no, there is authority. You know, the reason Jesus came, we're told in 1 John, was to destroy the works of the devil. In John 12, verse 31, Jesus says, Now the ruler of this world is about to be cast out. And he was talking about the devil. Colossians 2, verse 15 says that when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed the powers and principalities. That means the demonic authority levels. He disarmed them. What does that mean? Did he take away their, their power? No. Did he take away their ability to lie or to act or to do things? No. He took away their authority. They had authority because Adam and Eve had given the devil the right to do what he wanted on the world. And Jesus came and he took it back. When he died on the cross and when he went into Hades and he took the keys of death in Hades, he took the authority back and now he is the rightful ruler of the world. Everything is under his feet. Every name, every power, force, principality, authority is under his feet. And when he left planet Earth, his words to his disciples were this. All authority has now been given to me. Therefore, you go and you make disciples. It's about authority. It's about knowing my position. And when I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we're going to see in a minute that God raises us up to that same position of authority. It says he was seated at his right hand, sitting on a throne. That's a, a symbol of authority in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, whatever is coming against you. You know, the problem with us as being mice in a maze is that there seems to be so much against us. There is trouble and trial and tribulation and disease and difficulty and even interpersonal issues and my own 
emotions and my own body let me down and I let myself down so often and there seems to be so much against us and then you add the devil being against us as well and all of his forces and yet Jesus rose again to show authority and he says you have that same authority that's amazing the third word s stands for sonship sonship Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared to be God's son according to the spirit of holiness. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit, which it normally says. It means the same thing as saying the Holy Spirit, but he says the spirit of holiness to prove that Jesus was pure, perfect, sinless. And when God says, you are my son, come and sit with me at the right hand of the Father on my throne. He was saying, you are snowy white. And when you and I see Jesus dying and then rising again for us, a miraculous thing happens. God puts us into his son and we get treated as if we are snowy white, as if we are his son, the perfect son. You know, uh, Jacob and Esau were the two sons of Isaac. And Isaac loved Esau and he didn't really like Jacob. And so Jacob did a trick and he put on Esau's clothes so that he smelt like his brother. His dad had gone blind. By this time, he put on his clothes so that he smelt like him. He put hairy fur on his arms so that his dad thought he was hairy like his brother. He made a stew like his brother made and he walked into his father Isaac's presence and his father Isaac smelt the clothes and, and saw him, didn't see him, but sensed he was there and said, ah, the smell of the son that I love. And he gave him his blessing because he thought he was his other son. Friends, you and I are hidden in Jesus. We don't deserve to be sitting on a throne. We don't deserve to be called snowy white and clean and forgiven. We don't de deserve to have that position of forgiveness that we have. But we are put in that same position. And we are his sons and daughters. And we are clean. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all, all trespasses. He has made you snowy white. Isaiah 1 says, though your sins are scarlet and crimson, I will make them white as snow. I will forgive you and cleanse you completely. And when we believe, we are put in Christ. And we are sons and daughters. We are snowy white. E-A-S. T stands for together. Together. You know, God the Father put Jesus at his right hand. And there was a love intimacy. The Father and the Son are one. Along with the Holy Spirit, there is a oneness, an intimacy, a union. An amazing unity there. And love and nothing in between them. Closeness. Fellowship. And the Bible says we have that with God. 
We have peace with God. We have been reconciled to God. We don't deserve it. We could never do it. But because we see Jesus raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God, we are seated at the right hand of God as well. We are close to him. We are intimate with him. And we then become close and intimate with our brothers and sisters, others who are part of the family of God. Listen to what it says. Far above all principality and power and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, it's a family affair. We are together with Jesus. We are in him and united with him. We are together with the Father, seated at his right hand and in close unity with him. But we're also with the church, the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We have togetherness. There is a family. There is a unity. There is a joined sharing of this amazing position that we're in. Wow. This is what the resurrection means. E-A-S-T. The next letter is E, and it stands for eternal. Listen to what it says in verse 21. Not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He put all things under his feet. There is this link between time, the, the maze, the labyrinth that we're running around in is time and space, but eternity is all around us. It's, there's no beginning, there's no end, there's no time in eternity. And somehow Jesus was raised, not just from that stone tomb where he was dead, he was raised all the way into eternity, into heavenly places, eternal places. And the Bible says you and I, are there as well. Now, this raises all sorts of questions for me. I say, how can I be still living in the labyrinth, but I'm also part of eternity? How can I still have a physical being and presence, but also part of me is forever? How, how can I be seated with Christ when I'm actually still here on earth? And that's the mystery of our spirit. You know, in the middle of you, you have a spirit. The Bible says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In John 4 verse 24. And we see that God has put a part of us that is already in heaven. And we commune with God as if we were in eternity, even now. And then when we die, we will just continue with him in eternity. And that gives me great hope because nothing can change eternity. It's timeless. It's forever. It's always there and always the same. God calls himself, I am, not I was, not I will be, the eternal present. And we have this place in eternity. It's not tomorrow morning, will I still be saved? Next week, oh, what's going to happen? Am I still saved? No, no, there is an eternal nature to this position that we're in. Jesus was seated there for eternity and in the ages to come. And then the last letter is the letter R, which stands for restored. And this really is just an obvious conclusion from everything that I've already said. If Jesus was raised from the dead, all of those wounds that he suffered, and I'm talking about the lacerations and the, the bludgeonings and the cuts and the bruises and the tearings and the piercings on his head from the thorns and his hands and his feet, the sword in his side, 
the beard being pulled out, the fists that beat him, all the different things that happened, his body was restored. That energy that went in restored his body. That authority that he's in above all things restored his body. And every part of what I've said restored him, not just physically, but emotionally. Isaiah 53 says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him when he died. So it's not just physical wounds that are restored. It's not just physical weakness that is healed. It's emotional wounds that are healed. And we have peace and joy and hope and love in our hearts. Friends, this is what Jesus did for you and me. Now you say, Greg, are you sure this is talking about me? Is it not just Jesus? Well, let me read the whole passage to you. Ephesians 1. Paul says, I pray the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. He's saying, I want you to see this is for you. It's what happened to Jesus, but it's for us as well. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That dead, lifeless lump of flesh was raised from the dead, seated with him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Did you see that? He just keeps talking and he says this happened to Jesus and it happened to you who believe. You say, what is believe? It's seeing what happened and saying, yes, Lord, I, I believe that's true. I take it for myself. Yes, you were raised from the dead. He says you were dead. Maybe not physically, but in trespasses and sins, we were lost in a maze and we were dead and separated from Christ. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's all of us. We were lost and dead and objects of God's punishment. But, verse 4, God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, just like Jesus was dead in the tomb, you and I were dead and lost from God. Even when we were dead, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together that's that T, together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friend, if you believe in Jesus, a part of you, your spirit is already seated at the right hand of God, with Jesus, with God, with all authority, all power, forgiven, snowy white, together and loved. And that is why Easter is the event that has changed the world. When you see that, it changes you, then you start to let it change other things and other people around you, and the whole world is affected. Jesus, thank you for Easter, for dying, but more for rising again. And thank you for the hope that it gives us. And thank you for the power and the authority 
that you've given us today. Lord, I love you. I believe in you. I accept your forgiveness. And I accept your authority and your power and the togetherness that you've given us. And I will walk it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.